Anyone who has served in a leadership position in an organization knows that sometimes you can meeting something to death. Sometimes people have meeting upon meeting upon meeting only to end up not really getting anything accomplished. Or other times you might have tons of meetings that end up with a terrible decision being made. Now this is not me complaining to the church about our meetings <laughs> per se. But one thing the Jewish leaders in Acts did a lot was have meetings. A lot of those meetings centered on trying to stop the apostles and stop the early church from having any success. Today's passage is no exception. However, as you can probably guess, and as evidenced by the fact that we are standing here or sitting here in this room today, they did not succeed in stopping the church. Today's sermon is entitled, The Failure of fighting against God. Before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to speak to us as we study His Word. Join me now in prayer. <clears throat> God, we are grateful for Your Word and grateful that we can study it. You have not left us to ourselves. You have spoken to us. And so we ask You to speak to us once again now as we seek to understand Your Word by the power of your Holy Spirit, who is in our hearts and in this room, teach us, we ask. Encourage us. Convict us. Equip us to be your church. God, we pray that as we study about what the apostles and the early church were facing during times of persecution and meetings, trying to stop them, Lord, help us to see something for us in this passage that will help us more effectively be the church you've called us to be and more effectively be the individual Christians you've called us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do have, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see I have a lot to cover today. I don't, don't want to waste any more time, so let's get right to it. If you'll look at the passage, we will discover four activities that took place in this time and place that we're studying today. So first, write this down. The leaders were meeting. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Point number one. The leaders were meeting. We're going to look at the passage now together. I'm going to read it in chunks this morning. So first, we'll look at Acts chapter 5, just verses 17 and 18. It says, Then the high priest rose up, he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Okay, we're just going to stop there for now. I promise we're going to go through 42, but just right now, just it's not going to be two verses at a time, but that's where we're going to stop right now. We see the leaders in Jerusalem were tired of all the success that the church was having. After all, they were the leaders, right? The, the, the high priest was the one that was supposed to be getting all the credit. And we see here that that Luke, remember, Luke is the author of Acts. We, we should know this by now, hopefully. As he writes this, he describes the leaders as filled with jealousy. They're filled with jealousy. So they decided to have another meeting, another gathering, and they do that. They meet. Now, I want to be clear. There's going to be a more formal meeting in a moment. This first thing is kind of like just an impromptu gathering. It's not everybody. It's the high priests and the Sadducees. 
And there's an old pastor joke. I have to say it. I'm obligated as a pastor. The Sadducees were always angry because they were sad, you see. Okay, some of y'all will get that after lunch, okay? But the Sadducees were, were one party that were part of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And there were others, such as the most popular group, the Pharisees. But here the Sadducees and the high priests, I get the idea that they're, they're seeing this happening and they kind of have like a little huddle. This is not a formal meeting. They have a little huddle, but they do have the authority as the high priest as part of that little huddle to put the apostles in prison. So they put them in jail. And we see here uh, that it says the apostles. If you, if you pay attention to the book of Acts, what we've seen thus far typically says Peter and John. Peter and John. Peter and John. But here it says the apostles. I think what's probably happening here, it's, it's more than just Peter and John this time. Now, we don't know that it's all 12 of the apostles. Don't forget, Judas is gone at this point. Matthias has come in as the 12th apostle. We don't know that it's all the apostles, but it seems that it's more than just Peter and John because Luke, who wrote all that before in the first four chapters, chose this time to say the apostles. So what resulted from this impromptu meeting was that they arrested the apostles and they put them in jail. Now again, there's another meeting we'll read about in just a moment with even more important people there. But right now we see this is the meeting and we see what happens next that takes us to our second point. The apostles were missing. The apostles were missing. You're like, well, what, what do you mean? Well, let's look at the Bible and see what it says. Look at verse 19. I'll give you a second to write, the apostles were missing. And it says in verse 19, But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened in the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing in front of the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. Now we can gather that the first meeting, as we said before, was not an official full meeting, but however, it resulted in the apostles being jailed overnight until the whole council could assemble. We call that the Sanhedrin. Some people say Sanhedrin. I don't know that we really know the difference because we weren't around back then. But we'll say the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin gathered together, and the first meeting was simply the high priest and the Sadducees saying, we don't like what's going on. Put them in jail, and we're going to have an official meeting later. So this is the big meeting. However, there's one major problem as they prepare for this big meeting. The apostles are missing. They are not there in jail. You can't have a big questioning of suspects without the suspects. And I thought as I was preparing for this passage, can you imagine being the guards who went there and saw that they were no longer there? And then having to report that to their superiors. I just imagine that they were looking at each other going, uh-oh, 
We're going to be in trouble. And I can just imagine when they got back and they were speaking to their superiors and they were saying, hey, you know those guys you put in jail last night? Yeah, they're not there any longer. I mean, just imagine how challenging that would be to be in that position. But we see that God intervened to rescue his people and continue his mission. By the way, nothing new in the Bible. You can look from the very beginning of the scriptures, God continued to intervene to rescue his people and continue his mission. And God sent an angel to open the doors and set the apostles free. Little spoiler alert, not the only time this happens in the book of Acts. And God sent his angelic servants to rescue his human servants. I thought that was pretty cool to see that. You see the angelic, these are all servants, the apostles are servants of God, the angels are servants of God. He sent his angelic servants to rescue his human servants. And church, we must catch something from this passage. Listen, church, you got to catch this. Nothing can stop the mission of God. Nothing can stop the mission of God. Jesus himself said when he was on this earth, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, that's right. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. No matter how many meetings the leaders had, they would not come up with any plans that could stop the plans of God. Those who, who were pretending to be the actual servants of God were trying to get in the way with the real servants of God, the apostles in the early church. Yet the pretenders failed and failed again. Church, we must realize God is in control of all things. There is nothing outside his hand. When I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but think back to my favorite book of the Bible. I think it really is my favorite book of the Bible, the book of Job. Such a mysterious book. But I love at the end of Job, as Job starts to come to his senses, and he speaks to God, and he says to God in verse uh, 2 of chapter 42, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. I love that word, thwarted. We need to use that more often. But it means no plan of yours can be messed up, no plan of yours can be stopped, no plan of yours can be interfered with. Job said, God, you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. This is what we must understand in part from this passage. God was in control then, during the time of Job, he was in control during the time of the early church, gathered together before the Sanhedrin. And you better believe, God is in control now. And no plan of his can be thwarted. And notice what the apostles did when they got out. They were back on mission. That is amazing. The angel simply said to them, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. What a unique way of saying Tell them about this life. I don't know that we have that again in the book of Acts, but I, I just think that's really cool. Tell them about what Jesus has done with your life. Tell them what Jesus is doing in the church. Tell them about the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit at work among you. Tell them about all that you're experiencing in this life. So the apostles entered the temple, and they began to teach again. I couldn't help but as I looked at this passage and studied it, thinking about myself, thinking about our church, I wonder about us. 
What would it take to keep us from accomplishing the mission of God in our lives and in our church? You know, the reality is sometimes it doesn't take much to distract us or dissuade us from being on mission. But the apostles wouldn't even stop when they were jailed. Church, oh, that we would have that faith and that commitment to the mission of God, that even being jailed by the most powerful people in the land would not prevent us from being on mission. And what result did this have on the leaders? Well, verse 24 says, As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled. Another good word. They were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. Well, what would come of this? Let's look at point number three. The leaders were reconvening. They were reconvening, meaning they were gathering together once again. Look at verses 25 through 39. I'll give you a second to write reconvening. Starting in verse 25. Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid that people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. We'll stop there and just for, just for now and pick it up in just a moment. We see here the leaders are meeting again and they can't find the apostles, then someone points out the apostles are right outside teaching in the temple complex. Now, some of you may not, may not realize what's happening here. The Sanhedrin were the religious court of Jerusalem, of Israel. Where did the religious court gather? In the temple complex. Where were the apostles teaching after they escaped jail? In the temple complex. I mean, they talk about boldness. Not only did the apostles continue to teach, they were teaching a, th a stone throws away 
from where everyone was gathering who wanted to kill them because they were so enraged. The Sanhedrin could not stop them. This time, the questioning does take place, though. We see that they, they I can just imagine, this is, this is Pastor Matt speaking, not the Bible. I can just imagine them walking up to the apostles and some of them being prideful, some of the leaders and not wanting to, and then some of the guys who are a little more wise say, hey, hey, can we talk to y'all for a minute? Do you mind coming with us? We don't want to cause a stir. Because, like, they just got out of jail without going through the doors, okay? So there's something crazy going on here. And they, they, they bring them back quietly. And, and from all appearances, the apostles join them quietly, respectfully, with a sense of honor for who they were in their positions. And after some time back and forth in the questioning, the high priest basically says, hey, we already talked about this. You should not do ministry in the name of Jesus. Now, in case you haven't been here with us the last few weeks, just one chapter back in chapter 4, the apostles were already commanded by the Sanhedrin not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter's response in verse 29 is basically, yeah, we did already talk about this. And as I told you before, we cannot help it. We must obey God rather than you. This is the, the same story that they had for Peter and John and the apostles and the same story Peter had for them. We're going to keep doing what the Lord God has told us to do and there's nothing you can do to stop that. He said it a little more respectfully than I said it. I'm a little punk, I guess. But he was very respectful. He said, we're going to obey God. And then Peter recaps the gospel story. Now, notice Peter's getting a little more bold here. You see, before, in chapter 4, if you go back on your own and look, you can see Peter gives a recap of the gospel story, but he really doesn't point blame directly at the leaders. But what does Peter do here? He says, you murdered him. Peter says, you murdered him by hanging him on a tree, by hanging him on a cross, by hanging him on wood. But God exalted him and raised him up as a Savior to bring repentance to our people, to your people, the people of Israel. The one you murdered is the one God wants to use to bring forgiveness of sins to our people. And Peter gives this summary once again. And then Peter says, we are witnesses. We are witnesses. Church, if I haven't made it clear, I, I want you to pick up on this. That word witnesses keeps coming up time and time and time again in the book of Acts, starting at the very beginning when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And Peter says, we are witnesses of these things. What's more, Peter says this, the Holy Spirit is a witness of these things. Peter is basically saying, what you don't know, what you have not gathered, what you are not a witness to, the Holy Spirit of God is a witness to those things. And he is affirming and confirming those things. And the reason all these things are playing out the way they're playing out is because the Holy Spirit of God is giving credibility to the gospel story that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God. He really is the Savior of Israel. He really is the only hope of salvation for all the world. Peter says, we are witnesses, and the Holy Spirit is a witness of these things. And then we see in verse 33 how they responded. They were enraged enraged I mean Peter just called them a murderer all called them all murderers you've murdered the son of God you're missing the Holy Spirit of God 
we understand what God's doing and you don't. I mean, I'm paraphrasing at some level, but not too much. This is basically what Peter's saying to them. And then starting in verse 34, we hear about this bit from Gamaliel. Gamaliel, as I said, there are different parties. We had the Sadducees. Here we have the Pharisees. And Gamaliel is well-respected as a Pharisee, and it seems that Gamaliel spoke more wisdom than he was even realizing. I think he, I mean, surely you could see that he was a wise person. He was respected by all those in the leadership, uh, in positions of leadership. But also, I think the Lord was speaking through him even more than he realized. You see, Gamaliel basically says, by the way, nothing says Gamaliel was a Christian. Nothing says he, he became one of the good guys. Nothing says that. But the Lord is using this moment, and Gamaliel basically says, hey, if this thing is not genuine, it will die down. Like the other false teachers who have come through our area. However, if it is genuine, we may find ourselves on the wrong side of this battle. Gamaliel's wise enough to know you don't want to be found fighting against God. He's wise enough to know that. And Gamaliel's words were true. You see, the Jewish leaders were, in fact, fighting against the mission of God. And, as Gamaliel point out, pointed out, if they were fighting against God, they would not succeed. And indeed, they would not succeed. They would not be able to stop the apostles. By the way, just as a matter of curiosity, you read about Judas, the Galilean in there, and you might think, well, Judas, the betrayer, was from Galilee. Was that him? No, not the same guy. Judas was a common name. It's actually Judah. It's the same name as Judah. And the book of Jude is actually the same name as well. That's all for free, okay? That's, that's beyond the price of your admission today. But just so you know, this Judas, the Galilean, is not the betrayer. This is a different leader. But we see these false leaders that, that came up. They actually gathered, in one case, 400 followers. That's a lot of people. But it all just died away. And Gamaliel says, let's just see what happens. And so the Jewish leaders were persuaded by Gamaliel's words, and they were going to wait and see what happened. Sort of. And what do you mean by that? Well, let's look at that. Look at point number four. The apostles were rejoicing. The apostles were rejoicing. Let's look at verses 40 through 42, and that'll take us to the end of the passage. After they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I said a moment ago that the religious leaders were sort of going to wait and see what happens to the apostles. Now do you, now do you know what I mean by sort of? I mean, they didn't totally follow Gamaliel's advice, right? Did anybody pick up on that? That they were flogged, okay? In case you don't know what that means, it means they were beaten with whips or rods. I mean, that's, that's not like just let them go and see what happens, right? They're like... You know what, Gamaliel, that's some really good advice. We'll just let them go. Before we do, have them flogged, by the way. You see, they wanted to send a message to the apostles. They're like, we're just going to wait and see how this plays out, but we want you to know 
we don't like this at all. And they were beaten for the name of Jesus Christ. And again, once again, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Now, it doesn't tell us if they went right outside and started teaching again right then, but it does tell us that they did. They did continue to teach and speak in the name of Jesus. Apparently, the religious leaders weren't getting the message that whatever they said, whatever they did, they were not going to succeed in having the apostles stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And we see in verse 41, how did the apostles react to all this? Look at verse 41. It says they went out rejoicing rejoicing now i couldn't help when i was going over this passage last night again i just got a post-it note out and i saw a comparison in the emotions of the religious leaders versus the emotions of the apostles i want to just this is not on the screen but you can write this down if you want in verse 17 it says the religious leaders were jealous in verse 24 it says the leaders were baffled confused in verse 26 it says they were afraid in verse 33 it says they were enraged however when it comes to the apostles in verse 41 it says they were rejoicing think about this for a moment the ones who thought they had all the power all the control, all the notoriety, all the authority were completely turned upside down. Yet the ones being beaten were filled with joy. How do you explain that? How could this be? This is not the way things are supposed to work. When someone says to you, hey, how did your day go? And you say, I was arrested, then I was regathered and beaten. You're not going to say, well, that sounds like a great day. Right? You're going to say, no, that sounds terrible. How, that's, that's horrible. But then they say, no, I'm rejoicing. You thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't when it comes to the ways of the world, when it comes to our natural human thinking. But church, in case we haven't learned this yet, God doesn't work the way the world sometimes thinks it, things should work. God can cause a blind person to see. God can cause a dead person to rise. God can turn a sinner into a saint. God can turn a persecutor into a preacher, and we're going to see that he does that. God can cause a lame man to leap, and as we see here, God can cause someone who is beaten to rejoice. And we notice in verse 42 what causes them to rejoice. They rejoice that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Now, Luke's making an assumption when we get to chapter 5 that we've already read chapters 1 through 4. So he says simply, the name. He knows we should know what name he's talking about. This is another theme we see in Acts, the name. We see the theme of the witnesses, and we see the theme of the name. That name by which people were healed. That name given as the only name under heaven by which people can be saved. That name which they were commanded multiple times to quit mentioning. That name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is the name in which they rejoiced for the sake of their suffering, to be counted worthy, to be punished in the name of Jesus. There must 
be something about that name. Well, did they stop teaching in that name? Of course not. You know the answer to that, right? Verse 42 says, They continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And that takes us to our bottom line for today's message. True faith and true power cannot be stopped. True faith and true power cannot be stopped. The religious leaders of Israel did not know what they were dealing with during the time of the early church. You see, as Jesus said, the apostles did indeed receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were witnesses for Jesus. They had true faith. They had true power which could not be stopped by meetings or arrests or even floggings. The true faith and true power that comes in the name of Jesus is more powerful than anything this world can throw our way. The reality is, church, we have access to the same true faith. We have access to the same true power that the apostles had access to. We serve the same God. We are saved by the same name. And we are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. So let us trust in the true faith and the true power that comes only from the true God. Let us take confidence in that. Let us read this story of our ancient brothers and sisters in Christ. And be encouraged not by their strength, not by their greatness, not by their power, but by their faith and the true living God and the power of his Holy Spirit. And let us recognize he is the same God and the same spirit whom we serve today. And he can do powerful things through us. Challenge yourself this week. Two weekly challenges, four points and two weekly challenges. I'm making you work this week. Weekly challenge number one, ask yourself if your faith would stand under pressure. Ask yourself if your faith would stand under pressure. The reality is most of us probably don't really know the answer to that. But challenge yourself to think through that question this week. What if you were in that situation? What if you had to stand before a group of powerful people to be questioned about your faith the reality is most, we can't even imagine that. I know, I know things are not always easy for people who believe the Bible in America. I realize that. I don't want to discount that. We're not always accepted well. But we're a long way from this. We're a long way away from having to stand before someone who can take our very lives if we continue to mention the name of Jesus. People, there are people in the world right now who are facing this situation. But challenge yourself this week and ask yourself, how would I stand in this moment? Perhaps some of us don't want to admit the answer to that. And I'll say to you, in that moment, there is grace for you. Ask God by his Holy Spirit to increase your faith. Increase your confidence in his power so that if you are in any kind of situation that would give you a, a 
opportunity to recoil back from being faithful to the mission of God, that you would step into that moment and be faithful to God's mission. For some of us, that's just something as simple as talking to someone about Jesus, period. To just say, can I tell you a little bit about how Jesus has changed my life? As the angel said to the apostles, tell them about this life. That should be point number five. I should have put that in there somewhere. Weekly challenge number three, which we hadn't got to two yet. But tell someone about the life that is in you. That's, cha- that's number three. Get ready to write that down in a second. Weekly challenge number two, pray for God to make you a bold witness. Pray for God to make you a bold witness. Peter said, we are witnesses of these things. Are you a witness to the things of Jesus? There's a little thing that has been said. I don't know when it even started. I heard it when I was a kid in church. It went along the lines of, if you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Man, that's convicting, isn't it? I mean, no, no pun intended, but that's convicting. It gets to your heart. If you were charged... If you stood before the Sanhedrin and they said, I think they were one of them. They said, well, let's look at the evidence. You say, oh, no, that, they must not be one of them. Or would they say, yeah, definitely. They're definitely one of them. They're definitely part of those people who have spoken and ministered and taught and healed in that name. Take some time this week and pray for God to make you a bold witness. Share the love of Jesus. Share about the name of Jesus. Share about the salvation of Jesus. Be a witness. And as I said, weekly challenge number three, weekly challenge number three is to speak about this life. You know, oftentimes when we do evangelism training, by the way, we have evangelism training available on our website. If you've missed that, I've taught through it multiple times. It's on our website. It's called Gospel Tools for Gospel People. Just go to our sermon series there. You can find that under series, Gospel Tools for Gospel People. But one of the most effective ways for you to share about Jesus is just tell what he's done to you. Share how he has changed your life. You can't mess that up. Right? You don't have to memorize something. Okay, well, just some acronym or whatever. No, no, just say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. Share about this life in Jesus. That's weekly challenge number three. For some of us, we are witnesses of what Jesus has done in our heart. For others in this room, just as Peter said, the Holy Spirit was witnessing those things. So also, right now, and you can feel it, the Holy Spirit is witnessing to your heart that these things are true. That Jesus really is the Son of God. He really is the Messiah, which means the Anointed One. He really is the only hope of salvation for all the world. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and to your mind. He is witnessing to you about these things which we're reading about in the book of Acts. You see, the Bible says that we are without Christ. When we're born, we're we're in sin. We don't have Jesus 
If anyone ever says, I've been a Christian my whole life, they don't know what it means to be a Christian. We're born into sin. We're rejecting God's love. We're rejecting God's ways. And the Bible says the result of all that for us is death and destruction and judgment. The Bible says we cannot figure things out on our own. Some of us are very confident in ourselves. The Bible speaks to that. It says there is a way that seems right to a man, parentheses, and a woman. But then it says, but its end is destruction. It results in death. We can't do this on our own. The Bible says the best we have to offer leads to judgment and separation from God because we are in sin. We're outside of God's ways and God's love and God's will. But Jesus came as the anointed one. He was indeed murdered by his own people. The authority was given to the Roman government, but it was at the request of his own people to have him crucified. He really died to pay the penalty for sin. See, the penalty is death, and Jesus paid that penalty. And as Peter spoke about, and as the Holy Spirit, I believe, is witnessing to all of us now, he really did rise from the dead. And he really was anointed by God to be shown to be the only hope of salvation for the world. And he really can give us new life. He really can change us. He really can make us new. He really can make us witnesses of these things. And he can change our lives so that we can tell people, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is why these apostles were completely committed to the mission God gave them. They were completely encouraged. They were completely uh, confident that this is what God's called them to do. They were willing to risk their lives. They counted it a joy to be beaten in the name of Jesus because they had been changed. And the change that Jesus brings is greater than anything negative, hard, difficult, hateful, evil that this world has to offer so that you can count it all joy to be counted as one of God's children and be in Christ and filled with God's Holy Spirit. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. I mentioned to Pastor Dirk this week. I said, man, I'm glad we're singing this song as a response song. It's one we normally sing earlier in the service. But what a better, I couldn't pick a better song for us to sing as we reflect upon this passage. We're singing, It Is Well. It is well. No matter what this world has to offer, if you are in Christ, you can say, It is well with my soul. Because listen, church, no one can take the blessings of Jesus from you. No one. When you are in Jesus, it changes everything. As we sing, I want to encourage all of you who are witnesses to these things to thank the Lord God for changing your life. Thank him for saving you from your sins. And ask him, all of us, ask, all of us should ask him, make us more bold. Use us as witnesses for your kingdom, for your glory. Whatever it is you're calling us to do, we will be faithful. We will obey. All of us should say that prayer. But what's more, there may be some in this room who do not know Jesus as Lord. Listen to the Holy Spirit.
Ask God. Just ask God, are you, are you real? Do you really love me? And can you really save me? See how he leads you. You can respond. If you have any prayer requests, any questions, any, any commitments you need to make, you can come right on down the aisle as we sing. You can come right on down, and, and one of our pastors will be glad to talk to you, pray with you, answer questions. You can just spend time down here in prayer if you want to. You can pray right where you stand as we sing. However God is leading you, be faithful. Listen, obey. Use, let God use you as a witness for his kingdom. Church, I was so excited about Acts chapter 5, and I hope you are as well. Be encouraged. Be encouraged to be a bold witness. Be obedient. Be used by God for his glory. Join me now in prayer as we prepare to sing.